welcome to the fifth episode of History and Music Podcast. Are we fifth, fifth episode already? Yeah, I think this is fifth episode. Look at that, man. Hater said we couldn't do it. Yeah, Look here we now, are. Man. Started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> I'm joined here with Sean Oborn, and we have a another special guest, Matt Wilson here. How you doing? Hello. How's it going, guys? Good. Hey, we're honored to have you here. Uh, Matt, why don't you give us a little bit about you so so the people know who, who we're talking to. Yeah, sure. I uh, I sing in a band called Near Dark these days, but I'm better known for my work in a band called Set Your Goals as a co-vocalist. And yeah, I, I chose a song by a band called Screeching Weasel called El Mazote. I don't know if I, I'll wait to launch into that, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah. As a music enthusiast and not much of a historian, I guess uh, I'll let you guys take the reins from there. First of all, we're definitely not historians, so uh, we'll get that out. Here to me, you are. We, we pretend, man. We pretend. So, so the song is "Screeching Weasel," and I'll, I'll, it's confession time. So, I had always heard of "Screeching Weasel," but I had never heard a single song by them. I, I couldn't name a song they did, but I know that they're kind of like sort of, I don't want to say like godfathers of like modern punk, but sort of. And I know that I was telling Scott this before the show. If you look in any liner notes or like the thanks or whatever, in like any sort of CD booklet for any pop punk band from the early, like early 2000s, late 90s, almost every single one, like Blink-182, for example, Green Day, every single one is thanking freaking Screeching Weasel. So I, I was always familiar with the name, but never heard them. So what is your history of Screeching Weasel personally you know how'd you hear about them how long have you been listening to them like what do we need to know about screeching weasel one of the it's funny you said blink 182 i i consider screeching weasel to be one of the 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 godfathers of pop punk you know it, it had this sort of snotty upbeat sound to it that sort of evolved into what became the heavy hitters of pop punk which were the the blink 182s and the newfound glories and all that stuff i i think Maybe Travis Barker or one of the dudes in Blink has a Screeching Weasel tattoo. But yeah, they, they were kind of like, they laid the groundwork for all these other bands that the whole world knows, you know? So they're a little bit older. And I listened to them growing up, you know, as a as a young lad. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I was about 12 or 13 years old and I bought the uh, Screeching Weasel Born Against Split 7-inch, which is now long out of print, but they might have even brought it back into print, but... Yeah, I remember this song sticking out because it was so catchy. And then when I read the lyrics, I was like, whoa, this is like such an upbeat sounding song. But the lyrics are so dark <laughs> and it's yeah. all about corruption and, and political uh, manipulation and cover ups. And, and of course, the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the ultimate base thing to do <laughs> is to write a like basically proto pop punk song about a massacre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. talking about um, how how they've influenced so much i guess pop punk now I, I just turned it on for my wife and she's a huge less than jake fan oh she yeah heard the the guitar hit and she she's like is this less than jake i don't recognize this song so uh yeah they like they sound like early less than jake for sure yeah definitely same same time period for sure um funny story less than jake took set your goals on our first big club tour that was like you know House of Blues size venues in really six, yeah. <laughs> hey, I saw him at, Les at uh, House of Blues at, in uh, Anaheim. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's many moons ago now. Yeah. What year was that? <laughs> Matt may have been there. <laughs> yeah, 2006. No, this was this was like 2012. So yeah, well, and it's crazy because I mean, Matt, you're roughly my age, and so it's it's surprising that you even were able to listen to Screeching Weasel at all because they're like an early 90s band, right? I mean, I think I think right. I think they started in like the very late 80s, very early 90s, and so these are this is like gen x music you know what i mean like this is a little bit before right. our time so how how did you find them yeah it, it almost is it's kind of like in between gen x and i don't know whatever my generation is I, <laughs> more millennials dude just millennials just yeah accept it, man. just accept it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i forget what the cutoff is but it's right around when i was born but uh yeah I, they were kind of like i said like established by the time i got into punk rock which was you know mid 90s 95 96 and i was buying all these records and going to 924 gilman street and all that stuff so you know the lookout records epitaph kind of stuff was really popping off around then that's you know i think i i bought what is it green day dookie like in 94 and uh, you know they first were, cd <laughs> yeah they were a lookout records artist and yeah. uh so yeah they were they were in with that whole scene of bands and i i guess it was just kind of like we were talking about a minute ago just on the on the thank you list of many many other bands well and it's interesting that you like you heard this because you heard this firsthand when you bought that split seven inch because it was i was looking it up i i did not know this but this the seven inch you're referring to that this song is on it's screeching weasel with a band called born against who i don't even think are around anymore no they were intensely political yeah they're like <laughs> way political and yeah. uh, and so this is like a straight up deep track. Like Screeching Weasel isn't that big to begin with, but this is a deep track even for them. So much so that you can only find this song on that seven inch that you own, which I believe is out of print and on YouTube. It's not anywhere else. Yeah, it's. I, I was going to mention that. Yeah, it's not on any streaming services. You have to find it on YouTube to listen yeah, to it. Sh- Sean was like, yeah, we're going to do this song El Mazote. I, I couldn't find it anywhere on, on Spotify, so it was YouTube we, only. We didn't have enough street cred to find it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Matt well, that, makes kinda, that makes it kind of special too, right? Because you have to like seek it out, which is how punk rock was before the internet. Yeah, you know, as, you know, as, as, as it should stuff. be. Hey, you like this band? No one's heard of them. <laughs> yeah, added a cool factor for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But now it's like, oh, you like Newfound Glory? Yeah, they're doing like stadium tours. and like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I just live streamed the show last night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny how Spotify's changed because you have like in, in, the band's entire discography just right there. Because for so long, like I was into Less Than Jake and, and like, like these other bands, but I only had like one or two albums that I ever bought. And so until I could stream... I just didn't know a lot of their songs. So I have a question for you. We don't have to get into the the topic of this song yet, but when you first heard this as like a kid, basically, and it's like El Mozote, did you like have to go to like the encyclopedia? Because this is like pre-internet days. So how did you like first hear about this and like look it up, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't really. I All I had were the lyrics in the seven inch to, to base it off of and... I remember always being intrigued by it, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I really learned much more about it beyond that. You know, I might have asked my mom at the time or or some some older person about it, and maybe they knew tidbits. But yeah, it's it was probably a bigger deal then than it you know than people than it is in our culture now, and people probably it's just not even really a blip on the radar. But it has this sort of mysticism around it, or whatever you want to call it, 
where, like you said, people haven't really let it go. They're still trying to to get to the an- the answers that have been buried. They're still trying to find justice, and it, it's almost like the Epstein case. People will not let it die. <laughs> yeah, well, they can't, man. We can't let yeah. it go. We can't. Let the, the, you can't stop the signal, bro. Yeah, and if if you look up any of these uh, kind of like amateur documentaries on YouTube about it, uh, it's got this sort of lore around it where you know people have gone there and spoken with the the locals because they want this story to get out because they don't want history to repeat itself and and the world needs to know about this so that you know it doesn't happen yeah, again. It doesn't get forgotten about the very least. So let me let me ask you this and just personal thing in your travels with your music, have you ever actually met Ben Weasel of Screeching Weasel? I have not. No, okay. And I don't think I ever will now because I think he was recently canceled <laughs> a I couple years ago. That. Yeah, because he, he like assaulted some lady at a show. <laughs> yeah, which is incredibly punk rock of him, but uh, definitely not chill by, <laughs> by today's standards. This woman, there's a video of it on YouTube. There's, this woman was like throwing ice at him and swearing at him and then finally just punched her. <laughs> it was, it was South by Southwest in Austin. Yeah, South by Southwest. Yeah. Yeah, she was throwing ice cubes wrong. at him and insulting him, and he told her to stop. And then he asked like other women to beat her up. Yeah, and she kept insulting him. So he, <laughs> he finally was, like, like punched pissed. her. Yeah, <laughs> wow. He just snapped. <laughs> Dude, couldn't pretty take wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was looking here. I guess he used to be a Buddhist, but now he's Catholic. It's kind of interesting. He's not very punk rock either. That, that is wild. That's definitely not very punk rock of him. I guess he gets soft in your old age. Yeah, he's lost that hard edge. Um, all right, I'm just curious, but, uh, yeah. So as far as like turning to the, to the, you guys cool. If we talk about the song now, or you want to talk more about, yeah. you know, Let's do it. um, so this was, and, and first of all, thanks Matt for suggesting this because I had, like I said, I'd, I'd heard screeching weasel, never heard this song. And I had never even heard of the topic this song is about. So the song is called El Mazote or El Mazote in Spanish. And it's about something called the El Mazote massacre which was in El Salvador in 19, December of 1981. So not that long ago, but just, I guess, for a little bit of context as we go through the lyrics here. But Scott, you think we should start going through the lyrics here? And Yeah, let's do it. So the, the first line here says, Somewhere in El Salvador, there's a grave for 700, pits full of guts and kids who were tortured and hunted by death squad soldiers. So I, I looked into this, as I usually do. And so... Apparently what this is all sort of in like involved with is the the civil war in El Salvador. So in in like the early or in the in the um like late 70s and early 80s El Salvador was having its its civil war like every country does at some point. And I guess the it's idea 79 to 92 I believe were the years. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But they, I guess, unlike unlike our civil war, which was like, oh, we have the Confederacy and the U.S. They split into two countries. El Salvador was, it was between straight up two political parties. They had like a communist party or their version of the communist party, and then they had their like right wing party. Although according to what I looked at, it's not like uber right wing. It's kind of more like center right, which is sort of weird. But I guess if you're like far left, anything to the right is like <laughs> extreme. But uh, so they so they they had this civil war that was basically kind of between the two parties, and it all centered around this coup they had, where they basically ousted the president and they installed this right. this quote unquote right wing president, who nowadays would be considered, I guess, center right, but not right wing. I don't know. I, I would just call it an oligarchy because yeah, it seems it like that's really what it was. It was these factions of uprisings of of guerrillas, you know, these leftist guerrilla groups basically revolting against the oligarchy, and then 
the U.S. kind of intervened to crush that. <laughs> because right. that's what they do with, you know, impoverished countries who have resources. Hey, let's, let's just kick the door in real quick. We'll help you out yeah. here. We, you know, not our first rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's in, anyway. interesting because if you look at who was in power in our country in the U.S. at the time, it was a Democrat. Was it Reagan? No. It, this, this actually started with freaking Jimmy Carter, of all people. Okay. So Jimmy Carter was Jim, – the, the Carter administration was the first major supporters in the U.S. for the conservative government of El Salvador because I guess they consider them like the more legitimate or the more like stable, I guess, which I guess could sort of make sense. If you, I guess you can't support the communists. I mean, come on. You know, if you're the U.S., you can never support the communists officially. <laughs> no, they'll do, they'll do anything they can to actively oh, crush yeah. Oh, yeah. any I don't care. I don't care who it is. We're not supporting the communists. Unless you're Joseph Stalin, right. we won't support the communists. Right, right. But uh, yeah, so they so they, they kind of supported and, and, and gave like funding and training to this, this the sort of right-wing oligarchy that was trying those sort of vying for power and it started with the carter administration sending like millions of dollars and weapons basically like ukraine now like sending tons of money yeah. weapons what was it a million or two million a month yeah like Which like then was kind of a lot of money especially like, when it's such a poor country that's big money dude like you could you could do some damage in el salvador with that kind of money you know yeah, i mean they like, certainly did yeah and so so they're so they're the the, the u.s government officially and outspokenly is supporting the sort of right-wing government. And uh, so then Jimmy Carter leaves and Reagan gets in there and just amps up the support, like right. doubles the amount of money, doubles the amount of guns and whatever crap he's sending it to El Salvador. They, they actually go so far as to take units of the El Salvadoran army and bring them to the U.S. and train them in like counterinsurgency and guerrilla tactics or anti-guerrilla tactics and so do their bidding <laughs> was that they, yeah they they trained them at the u.s army's uh school of the americas to do their bidding for them I, i'd heard of the school of the americas i looked it up it's still around it, it has a new name now yeah i guess after 2001 they changed the name but they, at the time they called it the school of the americas and right. it's, it's basically fort benning georgia but uh now they call it the western hemisphere institute for security security cooperation give, give kind of some rebranding, you know? Something. Yeah. <laughs> a mouthful. Yeah. I, I'm still like just monologuing here. Sorry, guys. But okay, I kind of took cliff notes too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you're good. So what, what's interesting about this is that one, the, 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 there's only basically one, there was one unit, a battalion of the El Salvadoran army that was involved with this massacre. And it's like the Atlacatl. Yeah. yeah. Well, the language is actually Nahuatl. And so I think it's pronounced like Atlat or something like that. It's it's like Indian. But anyway, so we'll call it the Atlacatl, I guess, battalion. But well, they, they, they were they were they were tr um, taken to the School of the Americas and trained in counterinsurgency with U.S. funding by U.S. advisors. And there was actually some, at least one U.S. advisor with them on the ground at the time this stuff was happening. U.S. advisor Alan Bruce Hazelwood. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> so is he still still around? Yeah. In fact, we yeah. didn't even know we didn't even know he was there until 2011. Right. I was going to say we'll get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Part of, part of the suppression of the story, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's kind of like the whole background of this song. But something I thought was interesting about this, and you probably know about this, Matt, but the seven inch that this song was on was was uh, Screeching Weasel did like I'm, I'm assuming like 
what five songs on there or something or no, two I think songs. Like two. Oh, yeah. two songs. This is one of them. I can't remember. It's yeah, and then and then five years ago now. Born Against, yeah, Born Against did the other two songs on this on this split. But I I was looking on the Wikipedia page, so who knows how accurate this is. But some dude commented on here and said that it's kind of a cool concept because you have one. He called it a sappy pop punk band. That's the that's screeching weasel. That's what he called it. The other one is this total political crust band, like political punk crust band, and um, and basically they each wrote a song and then switched each other's lyrics and wrote the music in their own style. So he's basically saying that Born Against wrote these lyrics, but screeching really? weasel did like the melody for it, which is kind of I cool. did not know that, and that makes so much sense, and that's amazing. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, wow. yeah. It says they they basically wrote lyrics for two potential songs, but then swapped the lyrics with each other and wrote the music in their own style, but the other band's lyrics. That's so kind of cool. Yeah, it's really. Cool. Yeah. So, but I mean, but like like Matt said, it makes sense because I don't think is Screeching Weasel all that political, like in their music, other than this. No, like these are very much Born Against style lyrics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that well, the music sense. is so poppy. It's very, very. Speaking yeah. Yeah. Because well, yeah, they're they're doing like the oohs and ahs in the background and stuff at the end of it. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's what, what's in, the, the reason why that this is saying there's a grave for 700 pits full of guts is because this all happened in early December of 81, basically like December 11th and December 12th of 81. As is very common with communist insurgents, they kind of embed themselves in the local population and no one really knows. It's just like Vietnam. No one knows who the bad guy is. No one knows where they're hiding, where they're getting their support, their food, their guns, whatever. And they'll just sort of disappear into the general populace. And so that's kind of happening in the El, in the El Salvadoran civil war. So this Atlacatl battalion is trying to flush out these, these communists in these little villages. And they go to this village of El Mazote, which has like, I don't know, a couple hundred people. They are... the, the Because the army is sort of patrolling the countryside... Well, I, let me back up. There's yeah. <laughs> several, there's actually several battalions. One of them is this Atlacado battalion, but there's several of them that are literally hired as like death squads where their job mm-hmm. is to basically go out and like hunt communists and essentially take no prisoners. Right. They have, they yeah. Have, yeah. And the other, the other part of this is that, you know, El Mazote was kind of like a Panama down there. Like they were the neutral territory yeah. and they were known yeah. as such. So the area was mostly Catholic. They were Protestant and they were kind of like, Catholic leaning, I guess, and they were kind of supplying some of the guerrillas with like food or supplies, but n- not not involved in any way. And it was well known that they weren't involved, which was kind of the big deal here. Which is like, hey man, this is like a hands off zone. What are you guys? What are you guys doing? Yeah. Well, and, and as I and as I understand it, there weren't any military age males even there. It was like women, children, well, I, like it's old a small people. little farm town as far as i understand and and i guess what made matters worse is because this is a very rural area you basically have these peasants farmers coming from the surrounding countryside and kind of sort of coalescing at el mazote for protection it's like a safe haven yeah safe haven and and so that's so because this little town has like a cluster of houses and like a church and that's based in a school and that's basically all that's there so this this atlacatl battalion gets there on december 10th you know, has everyone go to the town square, that people are searched, they're interrogated, then they lock them all in the houses. The next day, December 10th or December 11th and 12th, they basically just start pulling people out in groups and separating the women from the children or the men from the, from the women and children. And they start essentially like raping the women, 
machine gunning people, slitting throats, hanging them from trees, and just literally start massacring everybody and taking absolutely no prisoners. Just in this like search for communists. Which is really messed up because they were the, the citizens were put in this difficult position because I guess the wealthiest man in town was this guy Marcos Diaz. And he was warned ahead of time because wealthy people get privileges like that. And uh, I guess he, he told the whole town, like, hey, don't leave. They're going to consider you a gorilla fleeing. Like if, you run, if you run, it looks suspicious. Yeah, you're going to get killed. They're going to just assume you're a gorilla. So just stay here. And if you stay inside your homes, everything will be okay. And that proved to be untrue. <laughs> the, the next day, like you said, they, they lined them up. They separated the men. They killed the men raped the women, killed them too, and then killed the children. They hung babies like as young as like eight months old. Like they, and they were just particularly, it was like noted how brutal they were about it. Like I I guess some of the soldiers made comments, it was awful, but about how much they particularly liked raping the 12 year old. It was really just gruesome stuff. Right. And because you read these lyrics and they're, they're gruesome lyrics. Like it talks about pits, pits full of guts kids tortured but if you're if you're going to write a song about this particular event like you kind of have to include that nasty bit of it just because that i mean that's that's the truth of it yeah and whether it's it's for like shock factor or something it it, it is what it is it's it's what happened so you, there's no getting around that yeah it's it's something that you know it's really Kind of crazy that they thought they could sweep this under the rug because this is the largest massacre in modern Latin American history. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, they, they well, and that's the whole thing too. Is that what? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll actually we'll, we'll get to that later in the lyrics. So I won't talk about that. But the the estimate of people that have died is like eight hundred to a thousand, but they don't really know. But they have right, it's retroactively been increased as they've found more. Yeah, but I, I know the locals have at least come up with like over 700 actual names of people that are like no longer here. As I understand it, El Mazote like basically ceased to exist after this because they basically burned it down. So after they right. killed and murdered everybody, they burned the thing down. Now they've since right. rebuilt the church and I'm assuming some other stuff, but that's basically what it is. So it's, you know, the, the line is, you know, there's a grave for 700 pits full of guts, kids who are tortured and hunted by death squad soldiers. The next line, and that's kind of what you were getting at earlier, Matt, is by death squad soldiers who won't ever be purged or punished, paid for by a government that our tax dollars funded. Now, this is an American band singing this. So he means U.S. tax dollars, our tax dollars, Americans. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that, man? <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. It's kind of like you were saying before, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Interestingly enough, this happened during a Democratic president. But, you know, if we're being honest, the U.S. military is its own little operation. It's got a mind of its own. It does what it wants. And it's kind of steering the ship. Whether the person in, in office is Democrat or Republican, they're going to do what they're going to do. And and they did through through it sounds like two different presidencies as this case kind of unraveled. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's especially when it comes to like counterinsurgency stuff, like where it's yeah. not like above the above the line, like warfare. Right. It's like it's almost silly to like point fingers at either side uh, on the of the political spectrum here, because the U.S. military is like prioritized above both. Uh, they, their their objectives are just number one for, for our country. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this isn't their first rodeo with this kind of no. stuff. Now, now th- they weren't I mean, obviously there was no actual U.S. soldiers here committing this. But well, there well, was a U.S. advisor. <laughs> yeah, there was an advisor who, who was we there, found but, out later. Right. Yeah. But but the, the whole thing, the reason why this makes these guys mad is because 
the these were soldiers the soldiers doing this killing for this massacre were were trained taught bought and paid for all 100% by the US in the US and then shipped back there yeah so it's it's crazy that well and, and as far as that they won't ever be pur- purged or punished when the first reports of this came out in the in, like i think the following months el salvador basically denied it right and then yes. and the, and then the US they, they said that it was a like you're you're overblowing things right it's it's not that it, it wasn't that yeah. big of a thing so, so fr- from the beginning and up till like a decade or more later it had been they they tried to keep it down under wraps yeah well it's but funny cuz they can't really do that right well cuz this this the government that sort of caused this or led up to this in El Salvador was funded initially by the Carter administration, but then it goes to the Reagan administration. And so at the time this happens, it's during the Reagan administration. When these reports start coming out, because there's like there's always reporters that are finding out stuff, right? Muckrakers and whatever. And so this this starts getting reported about basically like a year later. And, you know, like stuff shows up in the New York Times and Washington Post and whatever. There's like, they have like witnesses that start coming forward and talking to these people. At first, like you said, Scott, like the, the, the Salvadoran army and like government start basically saying, no, 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 that's not happened. Straight up Reagan administration says, no, these are gross exaggerations because the U.S. <laughs> embassy says that the Salvadorans are saying that over 700 people died. That's impossible. Only 200 people lived there. So, you know, it's a lie. <laughs> like they're seeking refuge from surrounding communities like how hard is that to fathom (laughs) yeah i know it's 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 pretty funny funny, yeah it's it's really interesting because it's like i mean the media did try to report on this but it was anyone in an official capacity just did not pick this up at all and technically still really hasn't or at least hasn't until very recently well in 93 so like a decade later the the un did a investigation right well basically go ahead what go ahead i was gonna say i wonder if that's what inspired this song because i don't know if we mentioned it this song came out in 93 yeah i have i have a timeline right right here so in you in 1990 the un started their investigation and and el salvador actually in 93 granted amnesty to anyone that was that was implicated by this by the un just straight up blanket like no you guys are good yeah yeah totally and and then and then uh I'm just going along the timeline. And then in 93, a guy named Danner uh, wrote an article uh, implicating the U.S. finally in the in the massacre. Um, and then in 93 is when Screeching Weasel uh, released this song. So I, th- I think probably it was, yeah, it was that it was that article probably that, that inspired it. And then right. 94, the guy wrote a book about it called The Massacre at El Mazote. So. Yeah, Mark Danner. You know, that was one of his big claims to fame. I think he he's a pretty well-known and respected writer or, you know, publicist mm-hmm. on a lot of political issues. But yeah, this 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 article he wrote in The New Yorker in 93 really blew the lid off this. And that was a result of the, like you said, the 92 opening of the of the investigation by the UN when they sent a forensic team down there to see how bad the damage really was and, and to find out how many bodies there were and all that. And that I believe was only triggered because one or two eyewitnesses survived. They ran and hid in caves and, and in trees. I actually listened to another podcast on this exact issue. Uh, and they explained that one of the women got away and she had her daughter with her. But then she watched them kill her husband, her nine-year-old son, and then her three other daughters who were like three, five, and eight months. And uh, 
you know, they like they hung the eight month year old, like it's crazy stuff. And then the guy that got away, his name was Pedro Chicas Romero. He was actually he hid in a cave and he was actually the one who filed the criminal complaint against the government. Hmm. I think that was like kind of what snowballed all of this stuff. It was like, well, we can't deny it anymore. I guess we have to bring it to light. And then we have to tell the citizens of our country that our government did this horrible thing. Yeah, but again, back to the to that line where they won't ever be purged or punished. N- nothing official has ever happened to anybody for this. No charges were brought against anybody. Yeah, but like the the only payback that has ever happened is is public awareness, and that and that's even pretty limited. And so, yeah. like like that's nothing true. official has ever happened. I, I think there was something. We'll talk about that in a minute. One thing I forgot to mention is the official military like the operational name for this massacre was literally Operation Rescate, which is rescue, Operation Rescue. So that's what they called this, which is kind of an kind of ironic, silly name. But um, yeah. yeah, so- yeah, I mean, um, that, that kind of comes to, to a, a question I have about it. I wonder if you guys have any, is like, what's the motivation here? Like if it's to intimidate, is it to intimidate? It, it seems to be a recurring pattern. My, my opinion is that it's to intimidate, it's to make an example of anyone who, even thinks about restructuring government that would otherwise be an oligarchy into something more uh, community or people based like uh, communism or socialism. Mm. It's like, Hey, don't even think about it. It's like one, you're going to be like literally physically harmed, but two, we're showing our power because we can get away with it. Cause that, that seems to be a big theme in this is that, they just just deny, 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 and and they can get away with it. Yeah, it's like a recurring theme in history too. Like whichever government has the money and the firepower to rule with violence, they're they're going to win against a, a, an impoverished country of farmers like that. You know, with resources. Right. right. You'll find that this is not unique to the U.S. or El Salvador. No, no. Imperialism. Any, any kind of guerrilla warfare ever is always messy and. Frankly, Usually horrific. funded by maybe, you know, England or some larger power behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, it's I mean, a white country too, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Making us look real bad. It's always like, this isn't new at all, you know, and this isn't the first, like, like, I mean, this, this, this is a, a common occurrence in, in Vietnam, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but this, this has been going on for a very long time because what happens is, is you get so, well, first of all, it's sort of like moving into like the new style of warfare. This isn't like World War II anymore where it's like, okay, I'm an American guy fighting a German guy. He has a German outfit. I got the American outfit. It's pretty clear who we're fighting and what we're fighting for and whatever. You know, we meet on this battle and we fight, you know. Messier. Yeah, here, they don't do that anymore. These are people who just sort of like appear out of the uh, out of the ether, you know, or out of the general public. You know, they might lay a roadside bomb, might snipe it at your troops as you're walking by and then disappear back into the village. And you're like, well, how are you supposed to fight somebody like that? Right. And so I think after a while, like if you're if you're the soldier on the the, the side of, of, you know, the organized side, if you will, I think it starts to mess with you psychologically. You're like, you, you basically start seeing ghosts. You know, you start, everyone is an enemy. You know, that's kind of what this was, is like, it, unless unless you were effectively rooting out these communists among you, you're aiding and abetting. You're supporting the communists and you are just as guilty as if you had shot my men. So we're going to massacre your town. It almost becomes a witch hunt. Yeah. Point. Yeah. yeah. And, and let me tell you, it almost never works because this always <laughs> happens. <laughs> so, but, but, it makes you, but it makes you wonder if you're just, if you're just regular like Joe Schmo soldier on the ground in the jungle, right in South America, like, what do you do? 
You know, like if you let's say you were drafted, you're an El Salvador, El Salvadoran who was drafted by the government. Like, what do you do? I'm not saying that you have to like massacre civilians, but I'm like, if you are being told, hey, this is your objective, protect this town, whatever, and you have random people shooting your guys, laying booby traps, whatever, and then disappearing into the village right next door to you, like, what do you do? You know, like, how do you deal with that as like a normal person like like us here on the call? You know, it's just, it's an interesting thought exercise. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, okay, I have this mission where I have to like find the enemy, but I literally have no idea. The enemy could be anybody. So I yeah. guess we'll just kill them, kill them all. <laughs> uh, right. I shouldn't be laughing about this, but. Oh, as far as like, like you were saying, Scott, any sort of accountability or, or retribution of any sort hasn't really been achieved. I mean, in 2011, the Salvadoran government formally apologized finally after like denying and then 30 years later right it's like they wait until it's so such ancient history that it's like almost irrelevant because all the people are dead or retired anyway that's a good tactic i guess it's effective it made me it makes me wonder if that was like an election thing you know like that was really yeah, big I on mean, people's minds in that year so the, this guy you know this the president that was running you know his advisors were like hey man People are really pissed about Amazote again. You should like make a public declaration of like apology or whatever, just so like you know. I'm, I always wonder if, if it a has some press. sort of yes, a good press because right. it's kind of a slam dunk. Hey, we're sorry about this thing that none of us did 30 years ago. You know, yeah, because tides change and and the cultural uh, opinion probably changes over time as well. So people want different accountability on different sides. I know, you know, during the Reagan administration, it says there was a group called Accuracy in Media that they put together and they accused the New York times and the, and the Washington post of timing the story right before a congressional debate to like, you know, sway people's opinion of their party. So that was interesting. I thought maybe they did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Cause this is a year later. Everything's a play, right? Everything is going to, yeah. Cause this is a year later now. Yeah. Hmm. It's for sure going to have that effect either way. That's true. That's true. I was always wondering what the angle is. Matt, why don't you, do you want to do a favor? Read, read the, um, let's go through the second verse here. Sure. But that was so long ago and our officials, our officials have retired. And once the stench is gone, it's easier to forgive the liars. There's so many atrocities this nation since acquired. And a my lie doesn't mean much with the papers staying quiet. One thing I, I do think is, is I guess, I don't want to call it a silver lining, but there has been some official recognition after this song came out. You know, like, because here he's saying that officials have retired, this, you know, the stench has gone so long ago, you know, it's easier to forgive the liars. Okay, you're right. But a lot of the people that were actually involved with this, like the, um, oh, what's the guy's name? The colonel or whatever that was that was in charge of the Albasor. Domingo Monterosa. Monterosa, yeah. So I, I, I found this out. He died in a, like a helicopter crash like three years after this massacre happened. And he was sp- supposedly the guy that like orchestrated this whole thing. Right. He, he denied it at first, but then it came out later that he ordered the whole thing. Right. But he died like three years later. So like, what do you do? The guy's dead, you know? Right. And, uh, but, but I guess the, the current president of uh, El Salvador in like 2021, so last year, removed this Monterosa's guy, uh, guy's name from the barracks or whatever of like the this battalion. So it's I like saw the, that. Yeah, so it's I guess it's like, in, I, I don't know, in dishonor, I guess. But right. he's dead. He's dead. So it sounds I, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like posthumously, they removed him for shame. You know, <laughs> they yeah. were like shame, shame. 
But uh, yeah, it seems like even within the Salvadoran government, there's kind of been this battle back and forth. Of one side tries to cover it up and then, uh, you know, another party gets into power or, you know, another politician comes along and then tries to bring it to light again and bring justice for these for these people of this community. So, like, it seems like, what's his name, Bukele and, and Guzman kind of had warring uh, ideals on this thing. It seems like they tried to get amnesty and then they tried to like uh, invalidate the amnesty and then it just sort of went back and forth between their own government. Yeah, it always makes it always makes you wonder. I don't know, I, I guess if you're just vying for that the vote of the people, you're probably just gonna do whatever you think the public wants you to do. It's interesting because the president like they were executing a search warrant uh, at the, on the military archives regarding this and the president blocked like ordered the army to block the execution of this warrant. Right. You know? Really? So it's like, I had not heard that. Why would you do that? If there, if it didn't happen, or it's been blown out of proportion, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. why would you block so, so a warrant? So when was this? Do you know guilty, when this? You have nothing to hide. Or Dude, I mean, this, if you're not guilty. This, this is in, this is in uh, 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So basically since this happened, every few years there's some new development and then it's like someone tries to hinder progress. Someone else, you know, yeah because because we're reading it we're reading these lyrics from the uh perspective of someone in 1993 right yeah from the past yeah so so like when they say like and once this once the stench is gone it's easier to forgive the liars they're they're talking about something that happened 10 years ago it's even more so now so i wonder how these lyrics would change if it was written if it was written now you know because yeah maybe not much because it it seems like it's just like repeated the same the same uh theme here yeah it's like enough time passes that these guys get away with it regardless of you know there's just all this red tape and yeah and it it almost looks like in the in the lyric that they were like they uh saw this happening and just knew it would continue to happen very prophetic yeah yeah i think is why he touches on the mila i think he's like oh this is gonna go the same way mila went you know 30 years ago it's uh Which it's, it kind of it kind of has in some respects. Yeah, the media stays quiet about it. It's just going to kind of be swept under the rug. And the other thing that would be different now if, if they wrote it today is that, that the confirmed death toll is higher. It'd be, it'd be there's a grave <laughs> for over a thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and something we touched on earlier that we could probably bring up now is it was confirmed in let's see, was it 2011? The U.S. confirmed that there was a U.S. Advi- military advisor. On yeah. the scene during the massacre, and they actually divulged his name, this Hazelwood guy. Right. And now we I, we don't know if he actually participated in the actual killings, but it says that he allegedly, I think it was with this Monteroso guy, actually flew over the battlefield, if you want to call it that, during the massacre in a helicopter. And so he basically saw this happening. He's like, "Wow, oh, things are going well." Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, okay. Cool. Oh, yeah. I think according to plan. Yeah. Get those communists. Get them. But uh, it, it's interesting because he he late, this guy later denies the allegations of being present, and he's like, "Oh no, I was not at the scene yeah. of the actual incident. I was a hundred miles away, training elements of the Atlacatl <laughs> military, who was actually not a hundred miles away, but they were actually committing that genocide." <laughs> Right. It's like, like, so it's like you're right you were with the with the uh, yes you were with, with the them battalion. but they were not 100 miles away because they were the ones actually killing all these people they were the only the only yeah and but something that we'll we'll touch on in a second but we only know the names of like maybe two one or two responsible people for this massacre we don't know any other names at all you know not even like the the 
lieutenant or whoever it was that was in charge here. Because usually that stuff you can find out, right? Um, so all we know is that Monterosso guy who's now dead and his name was taken off the records of the barracks or whatever. But that's it. Contrast that with the line, the end that you just read, Matt, the, and my lie doesn't mean much with the paper stand quiet. My lie is, or may lie, however you want to pronounce it, is a very similar situation massacre that happened during the Vietnam War. And this one was actually committed by U.S. soldiers, like straight up U.S. soldiers, yeah. actually machine gunning villagers in a very similar method. Same thing, looking for communists. But in, in that one, the, the my, my lie was was March 16th of 68. And it was the same kind of thing where you have these these U.S. soldiers. Uh, apparently, Colin Powell was part of the unit that was there, or you know, showed up later or whatever. They they basically go on these like these little rural villages where supposedly you know the the North Vietnamese or the um, the Viet Cong were were hiding out or as one of their strongholds or whatever. But they there was no military age men there either, and they basically start massacring like shooting women, old men, children, all ages, just indiscriminately. This this one is a little bit different because we have so much more detail on the My Lai massacre, and it was way less people died, and it was even older. But we have way more info on it than we do about El Mazote. And I don't know if that's because like U.S. is a first world country, so we have more like resources and like technology to like you know interview people and and. Well, I think we also document our own military better than some some South American country in a in a in a civil war. Yeah. 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 That that makes sense. But so what's interesting about my lie is that of the, it was, let's see, what unit was it? It was uh, the 1st Battalion 20th Infantry Regiment. It was a couple of regiments, but there ended up being, after my lie, there was like several people that came up after the, came forward after the fact to file reports like, hey, this is not cool. Like helicopter pilots that were flying over, like, dude, what are you guys doing? There were guys, there were U.S. soldiers on the ground that were shielding civilians from other U.S. soldiers. They wouldn't be shot, transporting them away to save sort of safe haven in their helicopters. And and some of these guys were awarded like, you know, bronze stars and stuff for basically going into a combat zone of their own guys, murdering people to rescue civilians. There is at least one guy during the My Lai massacre that shot his own foot specifically because he did not want to participate in the massacre. And so that was how he sort of like medivaced out of the area because he shot himself in the foot because he didn't want to participate in it. Dang. There's all these, like, this is so heavily documented. If you want to go down a rabbit hole, start reading about the My Lai massacre, dude, because they've got names, they've got dates, they've got interviews. But the main guy that they consider at fault for this is a Lieutenant William Calley Jr., who supposedly was like one of the. He says that he was following orders. He says it from his higher ups. I've heard that line before. Yeah, right. I was just following orders. So he says, without a doubt, I was following orders. And that's why we were told to basically leave nobody alive. No, not even livestock, because they burned everything, killed all the animals, everything. Jeez. So you'd have these, you'd have these groups of civilians, like women and children, like huddled up and crying because they're being murdered and he'll go this 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 um lieutenant callie will go over and, t- and order his soldiers to shoot the civilians and when they hesitate he would literally grab his own gun and start shooting them and like ordering these dudes to start killing people you know laying them in a ditch and shooting them it's like a scene out of full metal jacket or something yeah and uh, wow. same war so it's uh it's it's really interesting but 
of all of all the the guys that were involved, we know a lot more names about my lie, but there were 26 soldiers of like the couple hundred that were there doing this. There was only 26 soldiers that were ever actually charged with a crime and only one was convicted. And it was this William Callie guy. He was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. It was later commuted to 20 years. And then Richard Nixon commuted his sentence and he ended up serving three and a half years on house arrest. And he's a free man living is. in Florida now. There it is. They always wow. have to make an example of one guy for, for good press. And then right. it's, and it's always the guy in leadership, which, which in some respect, I mean, it makes sense in some degree, but yeah. I mentioned this to my mom and she's like, well, he got us out of the war. <laughs> like Nixon did, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah. I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because this is something where my lie is way more documented. And this is something like you talk to any Vietnam vet, they probably heard of it. There was also a huge cover up with this where the, after the My Lai massacre, you have the government basically trying to do investigations on itself and the US military trying to find out, well, okay, we're hearing reports of soldiers straight up machine gunning women and children at will arbitrarily for no reason at all. They don't find yeah. weapons. When you have any sort of civil war, right, like, and you have the U.S. inserting themselves into this country, like, they can't tell what's what. And then all the people have is, like, their own people, right? So they're just finding ways around the tactical expertise and the, and the literal firepower of the U.S. Army and all their money and whatever they've groups they've funded. And so they, they, they have to kind of use these dirty tricks, like, you know, women dropping baskets full of bombs or, like, you know children jumping out of holes to like shoot people. And it's like, I'm sure some of these generals and stuff get fed up and just go, you know what? Scorched earth. Like, let's just kill them all. And they, yeah. they make some bad judgment calls. And then retroactively they're, they're punished for it. Yeah. It's a, it's like a, a weird escalation where it's not necessarily yeah. like escalating. Like we, we hear that like nuclear or something like where weapon systems, but this is more tactical escalation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It seems like that. Well, and that, that's what that's what makes this thing so chilling is a lot of this was done in cold blood as well. So like going back to the El Mazote massacre, um, the soldiers were basically there in this village for like three days. They got there on the 10th, searched everybody, kind of harassed them a little bit, locked them in the houses. The next day is when they start basically just murdering everybody. Yeah. And then they stayed there in the village that night. Like that's amongst, what's really dark amongst all these it dead is. bodies, right? Yeah. And what's even and this this is the, to, to amp it up even more chilling is the My Lai massacre, these US soldiers straight up massacre people all day long on whatever day in March I said it was, the 16th. And then they paused for lunch and then ate there like on the battlefield and then went back to it. Oh, yeah, these people like, are just sociopaths. Like, yeah, well, it makes, really it makes you, yeah. Well, and, and it makes you wonder if, and this this might be just a function of being in a war, but like it's just like you you lose part of your humanity. Like regardless yeah. of who you're fighting for, like you lose that part of yourself that goes, Hey, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't do it this way or do this. Maybe arrest them first and question them. Don't just shoot them. You know, you just, you lose all respect for human life. Yeah. yeah. Or, or well, you don't even well, the, the other, right. Cause, cause you're fighting the, especially when it's like, if you're, if you're fighting someone who's racially different from you, especially it, it's so easy just to, to lose their, any humanity there. So they're, they're just like the other 
subhuman. They become the bad guys, so to speak. Right? Yeah, exactly. and that's a very common like tactic in war. People have been doing that since the first the wars. Yeah, yeah, like they are not human. We are. So if we kill them, it's not like murdering because they're not even human. You know, so it's the same yeah, idea. Exactly. In fact, mm-hmm. they had an unofficial suppose like the u.s policy in vietnam was they called it this wasn't official but like the soldiers call it the mere gook rule and so the, it's a, a offensive term for a vietnamese person but the idea was oh they're only gooks they're only they're only vietnamese people so if we kill some you know innocent bystanders in our search for communists well you know it's war kind of a thing that was sort of like the unofficial u.s policy in the war and what's so interesting about this and, and um, is, is Milai is, is, is fairly well documented. You've got names, you've got dates, you know, like almost how not, you don't know how many who are killed. It's about 500, they think, but we don't know exactly how many. But when the, when the uh, U.S. Army starts doing these investigations, they start looking into like old records and finding out, well, there's been accusations that Milai was not an isolated incident and it was not the first time in the Vietnam War that something like this has happened. And they, they go through like archives and try and find out, has anyone complained about stuff like this before? And sure enough, they have. There's been plenty of other times where they go to these hooches, which are like the, the little um, villages with the little, the little huts they have. And they'll just light them on fire, you know, or they'll find like, they'll, they'll find a village. And they'll find like one old AK-47, an entire village, and just kill everybody and, and burn it because it's like, oh, well, they have an AK-47. That's a communist gun. That means that the, you know, the Viet Cong were here. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. Sorry, I've been rambling quite a bit on this, but that's. But he mentions <laughs> the my lie. It's just the, they're, they're they're so similar because my lie has there. There's both these places now have like little monuments that have been built by like just normal citizens. Like the my lie has like this really cool statue that's there. Um, El Mazote has like this like I think it's like a stone like obelisk or something like that with like names of people that have died, but. In an official capacity, no government official has gone to either place ever to this day. There is one. Oh, is there one? This guy, if you look this up on uh, YouTube, all you're going to find are all these interviews and like videos of this guy, Jim McGovern, a member of the House of Representatives. He's like obsessed with it. There's like even like a two minute clip of him just directly addressing it from some sort of government building because you see like the plaques in the background and stuff. But wow, he's like, oh, he's taking an open stance against the suppression of this story. And he he's like really outwardly demanding justice. That's interesting Good for him. Man. It is. What, what also makes me lie or my lie really um, kind of traumatic is there was an army photographer present. And so there's straight up photos of like dead bodies, people being burned, and oh, wow. the, and and the the actual photographer that was there, he said he took photos like evidence, but it was later found out that the dude tried to profit off these photos. He literally tried to sell like the photos to like newspapers and stuff Big to story. make some money on it. As a but but what he told everyone is, no, I took these so I could have like evidence against our atrocities. But then like behind the scenes, he's trying to like make money off of it. <laughs> Little backdoor deal. Yeah, right. So so I mean, you can you can like I mean they have them on Wikipedia. Like you can look up like straight up scenes of like just piles of dead people, you know? I did see one of those. Yeah. So careful when you're looking at this, maybe you don't have like kids around or whatever, but trigger warning. Yeah. So he actually, uh, this photographer said that at one point he had photos of soldiers actually shooting civilians, like, like live, but he actually deleted those because he didn't want to implicate any soldiers and he didn't want to like, rat them out i guess i don't know that is an interesting angle with a lot of this stuff especially with the u.s military 
you'll see these guys kind of these these go- these army officials or military officials kind of dodge accountability because it's in releasing the information is like a threat to national security as they'll say like you know quote unquote that seems to be like a line that is used over and over and over and then you know enough time passes and the stuff is declassified but by then these guys have retired or died and they can't really be held accountable by then so the, the timing seems to be convenient on those things sometimes yeah well, it's like, I mean, it's it's like nowadays, we'll find like some old Nazi guard and the dude's like 95 yeah. years old. Example, and he's, right? like, he's like, what do you want us to do? The guy probably doesn't even remember what he did do. This is like 70 years ago. Like, what do you want us to do? Not not that what he did, what he did was right, but it's like, but it's he can't been even... so long now. Like, yeah, he can't make recompense. Yeah, you can't throw that guy in prison. He can't even like uh, go to the bathroom, you know. Yeah, on a uh, but that also is a... Um... An interesting thought experiment because at what level of like hierarchy within the military should should they be held accountable, right? Like if you're a foot soldier and your sergeant's yelling at you to, to kill these to massacre these people, um, I, I, th- th- like at what at what point do do you hold like the soldier responsible versus like the leadership? If you guys know this, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the Nuremberg trials basically quashed that, where you can't say I was just following orders. There comes a point right. where, and if you're following orders to like attack an enemy, and there's like a, there's some rules that go along with that, and that okay, that's that's one thing. You know, if you're trying to attack an enemy and you accidentally shoot some lady who was a bystander, that's one thing. But if if you know something is straight up morally wrong and you're ordered to do it and you do it anyway, saying you were just following orders will not help you. And I, I believe that is a direct result of the Nuremberg trials after World War II. If I'm yeah, not I'm pretty sure if you're in the military, you are not required to commit crimes against humanity Yeah, or war crimes, right? So that's illegal all the way up the board. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's usually there's a lot of there's a lot of things that like we don't talk about a lot as civilians unless like you're sort of in international relations or you're privy to this stuff, but you'll have things like the Geneva convention where all these countries will meet this G- Geneva convention, I believe is, is pre-World War II, but you'll have all these countries get together in Geneva and basically say, okay, cool guys. Hey, just like, let's just all agree the next war we fight, whenever it is, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. We won't torture prisoners. We won't burn civilians alive you know but they have but they literally have like what's not yeah but it's literally a list of stuff it's kind of weird and morbid to think about but they literally have a list of stuff of like okay this kind of stuff yeah that's cool this kind of stuff is not cool and against the geneva convention and apparently that's why it's like no, no hitting below the belt type thing uh, yeah it's basically like this is ungentlemanly warfare kind of like what the what we used to do with the british and revolutionary war but but apparently that's what the Japanese what got them in so much trouble after the war is because they did not follow Geneva yeah, Convention. And they I were think excessively brutal. Yeah. And I and I'm not sure if that's because they were not at the Geneva Convention. I don't remember. But I remember that was one of the things where it's like you guys are like experimenting and torturing like prisoners of war that pose no threat. That's a big time no no. So what that usually means is is after the war, if you're the loser, then the penalties are extra bad on you. Right. You know, and so that's part of the reason why all this stuff is so atrocious, because none of this follows any of those conventions of modern war that supposedly civilized nations, which is most (laughs) nations nowadays follow. But you can see like anytime there's any kind of like a civil war or guerrilla insurgency goes right out the window. And how is this for a precursor, both in my lie and in El Mozote, but mostly in my lie. And this is in Vietnam. 
the soldiers basically were told or believed that part of the reason, I guess what they told themselves on why they could just machine gun these women and children is because any one of them could have had a bomb attached to their chest. Right, that's justifiable. How, how is that a precursor to like every war, every conflict we've been in the last 20 years in the Middle East? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so, yeah. and that's going back to 68, you know. It's, it's kind of a funny concept to begin with, like, Oh, you're going to you're going to engage in something as brutal as war, as uncivilized as war, and you're going to establish what the acceptable rules of brutality are. <laughs> like like within the confines of your brutality, what's what's acceptable? Yeah, and that's also not a new thing though. That is not a new right. thing. That's oh, what yeah. that's what the British got so pissed at the colonists for is because well, you guys are shooting yeah. you guys are you guys are shooting officers on the battlefield. You can't do that. That's ungentlemanly. America's like, free dude. because we broke the rules. Yeah. Bro, come at me. Okay. If we fought you fair and square on the battlefield, guess what? We would lose big time. We'd be British. So and that's it's it's that's it's been a, a problem like forever, is because you can have all these rules all you want in a time of peace. But in a time of war, it's like, you think there's some dude, like there's like a Geneva Convention, like auditor on the ground, right? you know, during a, a counter guerrilla operation. And you're like, okay, okay, guys, remember, if you find somebody, you can like, here's a list of what's acceptable. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> it's, these, it's silly because it's bound to happen. Those things are going to well, yeah, happen. And these dudes are 19-year-old dudes that were drafted from Nowheresville, America. The they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they're put into a situation that no one is equipped to deal with. Nobody. Right. Anyway. Well, that's like the entire song. So, um, I thought that was going for a while. I thought that was, I thought that was, that was really good. Yeah. I think I, I'm sorry if I felt like I was, uh, monopolizing conversation but no I'm, I'm glad you took the reins because like I said before, I'm not a history buff. Uh, so I, I definitely needed someone to at least fill in the blanks, if not take the reins. Yeah. yeah th- this is, this is why Sean's here. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Dude, Cause I, 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 no, I, cause I went down to El Mozote and there is almost nothing. There's very little on that. Like there's a Wikipedia article and there's some stuff on, on YouTube. And I was going to mention um, the screeching weasel song on YouTube. Like when you listen to it, the, it has 14,000 views, which for YouTube is nothing. But that song, when you listen to it has still images from the investigation of El Mozote. So you can see these like women like combing yeah. through piles of bones and stuff right, like that. Right. And, like, category, yeah, yeah. Cat- uh, cataloging it. I was um, going to bring that up when you were talking about the um, Mylai thing is all, all the documentation we have there with El Mozote. It's like almost ancient forensic stuff. Like, like it, it's, it's, it, it, it looks like they're digging through like ancient bones. Yeah. The, the only, the only thing that we can do is, is is like dig through the rubble and and try and piece together what happened. Yeah, and and maybe it's a time thing, but my lie has, according to what I'm looking at here, over a hundred songs are about it. Yeah, it's not a time thing; it's a media thing. It's a coverage. Yeah, they've got video. They got movies about it. They got plays. There's like photo journals on this stuff. And El Mazote is like, and maybe because maybe it's a because like the U.S. is. I guess a little bit better about kind of bringing this stuff to the fore than some other countries. I, I don't know, but like El Mazote, there is nothing, dude. Like I said before, you can go look up, you can go to straight up the Wikipedia page of all things. You can go to the Wikipedia page for my lie and you can read the names of like 30 dudes that have been implicated that were there on the scene with statements. They said everything. El Mazote, you literally have one guy's name, you know, was responsible for it. And that is it. And he's dead. Yeah. Um, so you you know all these guys are alive because they're like probably my dad's age. You know what I mean? 
That's that's why I picked this song. I didn't I didn't expect to stump you, but I knew you'd probably learn something in the process because it's such a such a buried story, and it's there's such minimal coverage by the by the mainstream media and in our country at least. And well, it, it's got to have something to do with well, the U.S. is highly implicated because because we we trained them and we had there was a guy uh, an American there, but um, if if it was actually Americans pulling the trigger and 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 like. I guess doing the raping and stuff, it would have been much it, more covered. I agree because he probably had to be much more covered, but I think a bigger deal too, right? It would probably be harder to cover up. Yeah. Yes. They yeah. bring those stories home. Yeah. Well, I mean, my lie did. I mean, there's, there's, you can, you can. It's very, it's heartbreaking because first of all, everything that happened was heartbreaking. But you'll have these guys coming back that were just sort of like just grunt soldiers in my lie, who right. would like. There's one guy who came back and he committed suicide. Cause he's like, he's like, he actually had like three suicide attempts and finally he just couldn't take it anymore. Cause of like, just like it haunted him so badly that he just, he had to end it. And, and so I don't know if stuff like that's been happening, happening with El Mazote. Like maybe it has, maybe you have these guys from this battalion who are like now just full of regret. Yeah. You know, yeah. who knows how many of those, uh, of the El Salvadorian people in the arm, in that army shot themselves in the foot or did something similar to, to try and get out of it or it, it like, close going like- their head. It seems like they did the training because they signed up for a job just like that. And I'm, I don't want to assume here, but I did see one thing in the Wikipedia. I don't know if you guys saw this about one of the soldiers that went back to the scene of the crime. And it was really weird. I, was, I wasn't sure how to take it or how it was intended to, to read. But he went back to the scene of the crime years later to pick up pieces of bone fragment and skulls and stuff as like good luck charms. Did yeah, you guys I see saw that? that and candle holders. And I, like, is he stoked on it? Is he proud of his work? Like, what is that? My thought at first was maybe that's a cultural thing, like a Dia de los, de los right. Muertos. You know, I, I, maybe it's like maybe a cultural it's like a thing. tribute to the victims. Yeah. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But I saw that too and I was like, wait, dude, what? Like, Yeah, <laughs> it's like, is he a total sicko or is it like – a respect thing. I Not only that, but I saw that because that guy went back in 2007. Why are the bones still there for him to even get? Bingo. Why? Why aren't they, dude? It's been 40 years, bro. Bury him. Give him a proper burial. Yeah, it's pretty messed up to even think that you could just stumble into the jungle in this place and it's been so covered up that like no one's even touched it. It's just where it, where they left the bodies, which in my research seems to be the case. Yeah, uh, it's like oh shoot, I remember shooting this guy, dude. His bones were still here. Sweet, I'm gonna take a skull with me. It's like. How yeah, weird they didn't even is give that? him a mass burial pit like the Nazis did. It was like they just shot him where they and left him where they killed him. Like, yeah, a lot of them they put into their little pueblo houses and their 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 roofs collapsed and then they just burned it all. Yeah, no, it's yeah, wow. it's, it's it's wild. <laughs> but like I said, this is not unique Crazy to the story. U.S. It's not unique to South America and it's not unique to war. But it it does make you wonder though because this this unit had been trained in counter counterinsurgency and counter uh, guerrilla tactics. And it makes you wonder what that entails. Yeah. yeah. It, it also brings a lot of implications of how many other papers are staying quiet type thing. Like oh, yeah. how many, how much do we just not know and is just buried and we'll never know. Well, you know, you saw these major ones, like what was it? New York times and Washington post in the beginning did stuff. They posted about it and, or they published things about it and they got severe backlash. One of the writers basically was forced to resign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it seems like they were heavily intimidated from further publishing stories about this. Dude, I, I'm just shocked that like 
here we are 40 years later and there's not even a Netflix doc about it. There's not a series on YouTube. There's not a movie, a documentary, anything. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if that's because a lot of media is sort of US centric anyway. Like Netflix is catering to who US audience is. So they're going to put stuff that like Americans hate or love to watch. And this, this is a little bit more of like a, if you will, a deep track of history, because it's like a massacre in a country, no offense, but nobody cares about in, in, in a war, nobody cares about. And to add insult to injury, you know, this song is now out of press and you can't even stream the song, you know? So it's like, yeah, when you, when, when you suggested it, I had to ask you where to find it. That's, that's why I suggested it. I want, I want people to learn about the song and the, the event existing at all. <laughs> yeah. And it's catchy. Hey. Like my kids can, and the song's clean. Like my kids can listen to this, you know, yeah. you guys are about a massacre. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty grisly stuff. Um, but yeah, you can't even understand what he's saying anyway. They yeah. need a video for this thing on YouTube because his, his accent is just so hard to. Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of back to the crusty punk days and like lo-fi yeah. recording and everything in the '90s. But um, something, one fun fact, I was trying and share a fun fact about like all this stuff we learn about. So the the main guy that was supposedly in charge of uh, like this El Mazote massacre, uh, Monterosa, is it Monterosa? Monterosa. 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 He was actually kind of like a slight war hero prior prior to the prior to the um civil war to the el salvador civil war because he uh had fought in something that that we in the west called a soccer war and it was a war that was fought in like the uh the 60s i believe um between el salvador and hold on i need to i need to refresh refresh my memory here but uh, it was, yeah, it's called the football war or the soccer war. And uh, it, it was basically like a week long in, the, in, in 1969. And it was fought between El Salvador and Honduras. And basically what it was is the countries had become, these two countries had kind of been having like a sort of border conflict for a while because of like immigrants and immigrants going back and forth between the, the two borders and like trade disputes and whatever. But then there was the 1970 FIFA World Cup qualifier was between El Salvador and Honduras. And, uh, and basically after the war, or I'm sorry, after the, after the soccer game, like this massive like fight and a riot erupts at the soccer stadium. And that turns into a straight up war between the two countries. Wow. Uh, because it's like, it's like all these issues, all these like international issues between the two countries came to a head in this soccer game. And so they call it the football war or the soccer war. And it involved like, 30,000 soldiers on both sides and like thousands of people died. Like it involved like straight up like military airstrikes and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So that's, it's, that's kind of funny. It's like, it's like how in the UK they have all these, you know, football clubs and teams and they're almost like little gangs that war with each other. It it reminds you of that, but they just took it to a whole nother level. They just take soccer so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's so funny about it is, is, uh, it started, I mean, they call it the football war, the soccer war, because it sort of started with this like infamous like soccer game for the FIFA World Cup qualifier or whatever. But right. there was like all these issues building up to it. But anyways, yeah. this, this Monterosa guy was basically a hero of that war prior to uh, this, this massacre. Well, that, that's one of the more interesting things about soccer, if you follow it, is that it is almost like a, almost a proxy. Like when you get into the World Cup stuff, international yeah. stuff, it's almost like a proxy to the international relations of the yeah. countries playing. So 
Because they're representing really regions, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean, same thing with the Olympics, but I think soccer's it's just so much more passion behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the the European countries that sort of invented soccer, like England, for example, are oftentimes the the country that took soccer or football to Latin America. So, like for example, you guys know I, I lived in Brazil for a couple of years. One of the soccer teams down there is the Corinthians with a th, mm-hmm. um, which is which is I think an, an old British team, but. Portuguese, the language, doesn't have a TH and doesn't have a TH sound, but they have a team in Brazil, one of their most popular teams, is called the Corinthians. They don't even <laughs> they don't even translate it to Portuguese. So they, everyone's, like, everyone's like, oh, você gosta dos Corinthians? You know, it's like they just try and pronounce it like in Portuguese. Um, but it's because like it, it has such that that influence from, from Europe, which basically went everywhere but the US when it comes to soccer. <laughs> yeah. But wow. anyways, we're going off topic now. But yeah, so... Read read up on the on the soccer war, man. It's uh, that, that's it's, cool. it's it's wild. <laughs> I don't know if there's any songs about it. Otherwise, we'll we'll, we'll pull from that. Well, oh, but, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, but before we end it, Matt, is there anything you, you want to add? You, you've told us quite a bit about your history with the song, but is there anything? Yeah, where like, where can people find you? Or is there anything you want to plug or you know advertise? <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean. Near Dark is my current band that I'm, that is active, and we've got stuff on all the streaming platforms. We just put out a, we had a demo EP last year, and then we just put out our second EP, which is six songs about, um, almost two weeks ago now, and it's called Make Our Way Back. It's it's gonna be we just we just released the vinyl for it too. It's six songs on one side, and then the demo EP on the on the other side. Interestingly enough, I kind of went the born against. Screeching Weasel route with one of the songs uh, called Blinders. I was going to ask if you had a song about a massacre on there. Not uh, not about a massacre, but uh, kind of a related topic. Oligarchies. This this song's about the U.S. government. Funny fact about this song we're talking about. I stole the woes for the song Blinders from this song El Mazote. So, nice. And in the studio, I thought about, you know, going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And just leaving off the end part of the whoa, but then my bandmates convinced me to just rip it all off completely. So it's like note for note the exact same. That's awesome. <laughs> just shamelessly ripping it off, but our justification was like, well, no, where's anyone even going to hear that song anyway, right? Like, well, no now they will, dude. It it's out now, dude. <laughs> yeah. Ben Weasel will send you the royalties, man. He, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he will punch you in the face. Yeah, he will literally. Yeah, he's punch actually going to come and assault you in South by Southwest. He now. might. <laughs> <laughs> Better be careful, bro. No, it's a tribute. I'm sure he'd be. Yeah, happy. yeah, that's awesome, yeah, man. For sure. Well, cool. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for suggesting the song again, because like this type of stuff should be brought to the light. Like, and and it totally fits the like the tenor of the podcast. We're 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 all about br- bringing the history out of out of songs and especially deep tracks like this because. Again, this, it's kind of almost a deep track of a band, and then a deep track of, of the band. Um, so, so yeah, it's this is really cool, and I hope people that are listening look look more into it. And uh, yeah, that's kind of our mission is to inspire people not only to like look more into maybe certain songs they weren't familiar with before, but also like just historical events. Like, what I didn't know that I'm pissed, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's whatever like, the case. And the song, the release, and the event are all pretty obscure. Oh yeah. yeah, totally. Obscure history, yeah, yeah, and, and and without like I think expounding on lyrics like we've done, you, you just like you can't even 
necessarily understand the lyrics in the song itself right. because it's because of the style of music. And then and then if you do end up reading the lyrics, it's kind of kind of cryptic. I mean, it's very down. Yeah, it's like a nutshell version. Mentions El Salvador and my lie. Like there's there's specifics, but for the most part, it's it's uh, kind of cryptic. So for sure. All yeah. right. Well, thanks, well, Ben. That was awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. And if yeah, you, uh, yeah, if you, if you have any songs of us in a similar vein in the future you want to talk about, let hit us up, man. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I feel like we all learned something today. So. <laughs> I think so <laughs> for too. sure. I learned a lot of somethings today. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks, guys. Awesome. All right. And with that, we will um, we'll play the song on the way out, so you can uh, try and catch any of the lyrics. Here it is. <laughs>